welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is sponsored by our partners at CleverTap Gaming. CleverTap Gaming is the all-in-one platform that enables game studios and publishers to create personalized player experiences. It's the only solution that provides a real-time understanding of player actions and integrates lifecycle marketing, live ops, and remote configuration into a holistic experience. In other words, you can maximize engagement, retention, and monetization through real-time segmentation and targeted offers, and you can run live ops campaigns with A-B testing, push notifications, in-app messaging, and much more. To discover how CleverTap Gaming can best serve your games team, simply visit clevertap.com gaming or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm Aaron Bush, and today I'm excited to be joined by my friend Nick Tourlings. Neek is a lead game designer at Moonlit Games, but you also may know of him through a bunch of content he's done with us at Novik. Neek has written several game deconstructions with us, including on Brawl Stars, Love and Pies, Beat Star, June's Journey, and more. But most recently, he wrote a fantastic essay called The Evolution of Hybrid Casual. I'll link to it in the show notes, but in short, he takes a look at several companies and games at the forefront of this emerging genre and triangulates a bunch of interesting takeaways. In my opinion, it's one of the best pieces we've published in a long time. So I thought it'd be fun and valuable to talk through a few of those examples and takeaways on the podcast today. So Nick, thanks for joining me and welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So this is going to be a bunch of fun. We'll talk about several of the companies and games that you wrote about, as well as some of the takeaways. But before we jump into to all of that, could you just tell us a bit more about yourself? What's your history in the industry? And what are you up to now, Nick? Yeah, of course. So I started out in the Netherlands, where I'm from, in 2013. And started at a company called Spill Games, making Facebook games, which now actually means that I'm 10 years in the industry. Before that, I was actually also in the industry, but not as a game designer. I was also as a developer, but I, I've been in games a bit longer than that. I moved to Berlin to work at Wuga in 2015. I worked on a few games there, but most first and foremost, actually, on June's Journey for quite a while. Um, and then in 2020, I moved to Voodoo, worked uh, in the Berlin Casual Studio. Worked on a, a game called Plantopia and also worked on several other hybrid casual games uh, for them. And then in 2022, I uh, left and joined Moonlit Games, which is a, a startup here in Berlin. A few ex-Wugas and friends of mine started this uh, more than a year ago, and we're making a mobile top-down shooter with Web3 elements, NFTs mostly. And yeah, also been writing for Navic for one and a half years now. Started in April 2022 with Cookie Run, I think it was. Yeah. That was my first one. And uh, yeah, I've been really happily writing for you guys ever since. I was writing for Deconstructor of Fun before that as well, for mobile free-to-play even as well, that uh, platform. And yeah, I've been writing for, for, for these things. So I, I like to write, so I'm happy to also be able to get rid of my creative juices in the, in the narrative form as well. But yeah, that's a quick, quick one, quick introduction. Awesome. Thanks for that. And yeah, you're a fantastic writer and you've been writing with us for a while. And of course, some of that, much of that was paywalled, but we're slowly starting to republish a bunch of them very on the good. free side. I'm very happy about that. That's very nice. Yeah. If you want to see more of Neek's past and future work, make sure to go check out Navic.co, sign up for Navic Digest. We'll be blasting all of this content out even more in the future. But of course, today we're talking about hybrid casual. And I think a good place to start before we jump into all the examples is just to define what hybrid casual is and why it's even a thing. Neek, you want to tackle that before we dive in? Big question. Of 
It's a, it's an interesting one because it's been a little bit blurry over the years since uh, hypercasual became really big. There was always the question if it would be sustainable in the long run, specifically after Apple announced to be making some huge changes, which eventually happened. And I think from that sort of desperation and also from the uh, yeah the maturity that that was needed for this segment. I think there spawned another sort of mentality of developing these games because what Hypercasual did really well was acquiring users very cheaply. And then, of course, in terms of retention, it was always a very short-term game. But what is possible is that you can still acquire these players in a hypercasual sense, but you can then actually slowly and then really slowly move them into a little bit more of a casual game experience which takes a little longer which which holds you in there a little better which is not so repetitive and yeah it's now a genre and it's a bit of a buzzword as well so it's a bit it's a bit crazy i think because of this, we posted it. I posted on my LinkedIn and got 25,000 impressions on that post over the last <laughs> yeah. two weeks, which I'm pretty surprised about. Even I, I expected some good numbers, but that was quite a nice jump. There are a few more facets that you could, Im- yeah, you, you could expect from from real hybrid casual titles. The first one is just what I said, right? You have to really try to use that hyper casual user acquisition. But you have to also have then this really instantly understandable arcade core game that really requires almost no tutorial. That is the main setup for it. But then in longer term retention, you would want to have a free-to-play economy that really leverages, is able to leverage a metagame with its metagame with a longer tail. So you would have more live ops and you would really see events popping in that you usually see only in the more casual games. And Hypercasual has never seen these actually. And lastly, we really, I, I really realized during the writing of the article that this is mostly, let's say 90, 95% uh, facilitated usually by a really quite heavy power progression in the core. That That is 95% of the games have leveraged that as their um, way of making players stick around because that didn't happen in hypercasual either. So those are the, in a nutshell, really the yeah the aspects of what a hybrid casual game would be. Yeah, it's a tricky one to develop because you have to be really in the middle uh, between two genres actually. Yeah, and it's evolving. It's a little fuzzy, um, but I think those points, especially the power progression point, uh, is probably one that maybe not everyone has piece together or, or notice. So I think that's well summarized. And I know it is a bit fuzzy to define, but do you have any like numbers to put around this genre in terms of like how it's grown yeah. or how it stacks up today? Yeah, I did a quick Google and uh, it's a little outdated as the year isn't finished yet, but I, I checked some some articles that mentioned the metrics for last year and how it how the hybrid casual segment, which is also quite tricky to find in the data tools that you're using because which games are really hybrid casual is really hard to see from the app icon and the description. You don't know really how the meta game evolves. So it's really tricky to really have this strict segment. But what the article mentioned was that there will have in 2022, it has hit 5 billion uh, downloads. Which is like an increase of three to thirteen percent. I, I checked a few sources of of the year before, and in comparison, the hyper casual downloads they fell with fifteen percent. So, a lot of hyper casual developers started also evolving their games into a little bit more elaborate concepts. That so hyper casual went actually down from fifty percent in Q one twenty twenty one to just over thirty uh, percent in Q one. 2023 this year so it really fell down and uh, it, it also shows that all the um, hyper casual uh, developers uh, started making their games more elaborate experiences uh, in terms of revenue i know it went really high much higher i don't have the exact numbers just because of the reason i just said it's quite difficult to put your finger on but yeah i know it went much higher because it, it the, the whole segment has grown Another reason why it's also difficult to know this is because the monetization model of these games is actually 
it's hybrid, right? So it, it is yeah. ads and it is IAPs. And while we know the IAPs quite well because of the data platforms, the ad side of the equation is usually a little bit more unknown. So it is really hard to say how much they really increased in revenue because of that sort of unknown factor that we can't really check market-wide for the ads. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, clearly the falling off of hypercasual has led to an opportunity for other types of games to step in. Right. But yeah, the revenue side, as you say, is hard to gauge because platforms like Data.ai, which is awesome, and of course is a partner of ours, aren't on top of the ad side as much. But also, even as we'll talk about in some of these examples, I'm sure, even different hyper-casual or hybrid casual games, excuse me, will have different splits between their IAP revenue versus their ad revenue. So I think that's a good segue to go ahead and just start talking about some of these examples, because really the crux of your your essay was like looking at all of these examples to then pull these like broader takeaways from. So let's go ahead and actually start with Say Games, which is making Dreamdale, but before right. we get into the details of Dreamdale, could you maybe just provide some quick background? What was Say Games previously known for? What is it doing in hybrid casual now? And what's special about Dreamdale? Yeah, of course. Like Say Games has been actually, I think, the most consistent publisher of hybrid casual games. They were much earlier than the other players and by players companies in the segment. And they have made, of course, a lots of hyper casual hits before like Drive and Park, Train Taxi, Jelly Shift, Sandballs, Johnny Trigger. And Johnny Trigger started already being a little bit more elaborate. And then after that, they really got a huge hit with Squad Alpha and My Little Universe, which they I think they are all made by Estoti, which is like a French game developer. And they, yeah, of course, they were one of the, I think they were one of the main developers that would publish their games under the Say Games umbrella. And because of the success of My Little Universe, the next game that is, that uh, was was published by a different developer was then Dreamdale. Um, this game came out. Uh, I have to check it a little. I think 2022. It really started scaling last year. Yeah. So it's like a, a kind of a new genre that was built on top of this mechanic where you have. Uh, this backpack that you gather resources with, but this backpack is like a huge tower of objects. You might have seen lots of ads for this. This started with woodcutting, and then they would get all these lumber logs, and then you would walk around and, and bring stuff. It's it's a simulation in a sense. And what my little universe had was a little bit of a sort of a surreal space theme. It was a bit anonymous. And then they evolved that with Dreamdale, which had a tiny bit of narrative in the beginning with, oh, you have to save the princess, and now you are really in this little, cute, peaceful world. But it, it does really feature a quite elaborate power progression, including all the equipment that you get, because you are cutting resources, you are cutting stone and wood and everything else. And it just really explodes in terms of amount of uh, resources that you can find. And it's super sticky. Like you, it's really hard to put that game down. You really want to just keep going and just almost a little bit more. And I want to explore. It's really, it really has that exploration driver uh, nailed down, but in a hyper casual sense. I see for say games. If you want to jump to the strengths that this company has, more in a general sense, I, I see that they have a really high consistency between a lot of successful ads that are in that are like out to be seen. You can just play any game and view a couple ads. And then there will most likely be a game uh, that Say Games has tried to make out of these ads. So they really, um, what, what's really interesting about the companies that we are going to talk about today is that they all start with a different mentality. And what Say Games really does is, is quite visibly starting with the ad. So they take a really successful ad and they then try to develop a game around it so that their CPI is like for sure quite low. And yeah, they mix this then with a highly engaging hyper-casual mechanic. In the case of Dreamdale, this was the idle lumberjack 3D mechanic. I think that was the first game that really leveraged this. And then they really made this into a really beautiful little world where you would love to just hang around. And yeah, that's quite the cuteness factor that, that they bring. 
yeah, if you want to, I'll tell you about the monetization split so that we have the whole picture for the game, which is yeah. about 65 to 35% in favor of ads. So they monetize more on ads than, than on IAPs, but still 35% already is the IAPs, in, right. which is a, like a rough estimate. Again, because of the reasons what I said before, it's quite tricky to know how much exactly they earn on the ads, but what they really, what how they monetize is really interesting because I, I elaborated this more in the article, but it is really rewarded video dominated and their pro- progression becomes so slow. The grind becomes so heavy that even though it's so peaceful, it might get really, I, I actually fell asleep a few times while playing <laughs> this game. That's how slow this game is. <laughs> I played this game a lot and I, I really loved it. But man, it gets really slow and they want to convert you by showing you all these rewarded videos so that you can shortcut those, the boring cutting, the grind. And they even try to then convert you into actually buying IAPs so that you then even can skip these ads. So <laughs> it's, it's a really crazy uh, skipping uh, mecha- mechanism. But yeah, it's fascinating. I, I really think this is one of their most fascinating games after Jess's stories. <laughs> So I guess if we yeah. were to put this game and what Say Games is doing in context of hybrid casual as a whole, what are the specific main takeaways that others could learn from or replicate? Is it the rewarded ad piece? Are there other parts of this that others should be paying attention to for their own projects? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I really don't know if this ad strategy monetization strategy that i just said helped them in the long run i it's, it's quite a, it, it's quite focused on a negative emotion of pass, passing the grind which yeah. is usually not the most positive way of retaining players eventually people will start being really tired of this and i think you can only retain people so long and and that's also what we see in the retention metrics of this game it's the lowest it has the lowest retention of all the games that were treated in this article so I don't know if this is really their strength specifically, and I'm not just talking about Dreamdale. They might have a different, slightly different ad monetization strategy in other games. But what I do really like about Say Games is that they really take these highly engaging arcade-inspired core gameplay mechanics and then really make it their own in in a sense. But it still really stays true to the essence of that 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 really hyper casual marketing side and i think that's what they do best like i think when it comes to starting from an ad point of view look at the games that say games make because they really check okay this is a good ad now let's make a cool game about that and uh, they have done it over and over yeah so you mentioned the weaker retention that can come from (laughs) <laughs> being annoying and forcing the grind, which makes sense. They don't force um, that. They don't force anything. It's just that they you want to skip because it's so slow. Yeah. Yeah. And but I guess like when you think about hyper casual retention is yeah. not a strong suit of that no. genre either yeah. for other obvious reasons. So I guess like my broader question before we even move on to the next company and game examples is like with hybrid casual, how important is improving retention over mm. hyper casual like obviously iaps come more into play do you need that higher retention yeah. to get those conversions are those correlated yeah. or what's yeah, they're definitely correlating out? yeah okay. yeah definitely they, they, they so the the answer really is a bit relative because it depends on the the revenue split that you have the more your uh, strategy is built around ads specifically interstitial ads which don't really happen in Dreamdale too much, but they are in there, then you, you, you don't have to have such a long retention because the players are just force-fed ads, right? So in that case, you don't need to be retaining super long. But in my opinion, coming from casual, I, that would not be my strategy as a game developer because it's, it is still a very long, short-term thinking in a sense. And you can see yeah. that they are a company that comes from hyper-casual because they have properly evolved, but not so much that it is really, that it has lost all the hyper-casualness. You really see interstitials flying around. And yeah, so it, it does definitely relate. 
but in because their split is 65% ads i think you can it, it includes quite a lot of interstitials as well even though the rvs really dominate the the revenue but it's probably because they convert you into the iaps mm. yeah makes sense Okay, let's go ahead and shift gears and talk about our next company, which is Voodoo. And the two games that you wrote about mm-hmm. within Voodoo are Mob Control and Collect Them All. And we can hit on both of those quickly. But again, similarly, maybe let's start with some background. When and why did Voodoo start getting into hybrid casual? And what are the tenets of their strategy so far? If you can nail anything <laughs> down. Sure. I know these guys a little bit. So... What they have been doing is slightly different, even though it's a bit it, one of the, of, of the four companies that we uh, talk about today in this article that I wrote. Is Voodoo and Say Games are the most similar? I think they don't start with an ad, but they start with that huge collection of hyper casual games that they have been publishing because they have definitely published the most hyper-casual games in the world, I think, and they have the most hyper-casual players uh, in the world. So they really can leverage their yeah, their catalog. And what they do is they have, uh, they take the, they take one of the many games that they get submitted by other developers that they u- would usually publish. They double check if this game now has a potential to also get a power progression in in there and to maybe be hybridized and instead of just blasting it out like they would do in the past they actually develop it for let's say a few months to make it into a hybrid casual game so they really i think start the funnel from the hyper casual publishing side but they then transform the right games also probably the wrong i think they're trying a lot of games to make those into hybrid games but yeah, they've done this uh, cle- very visibly with, with Mob Control, which is the, the most important game, I would say, that Voodoo has published on the hybrid casual side. That game does have an insane amount of ads revenue, sorry, ad revenue, and it's 85% ads. I, I, they actually said it themselves, so this is not a guesstimate. This is really what, what was published by them uh, publicly. So that means 15% of, of IAP revenue only, which is very low compared to the other games that we are talking about today. But they really go from hyper-casual game to hybrid casual game. They really still start with their core strength. Why wouldn't you? They have the most expertise in this whole industry, I think, with these games. But uh, yeah, I, I know from experience, they also didn't nail this right away. They have also to, taken quite a, few, a bit of time to really figure out which games can we can we hybridize and of course they they didn't start with helix jump and tried to uh, (laughs) hybridize that one because some games you just can't do but it would you would be surprised how easy it is to fall in the trap of yeah of course we can add a power progression and in terms of game design then later only realize like yeah this actually doesn't really make much sense and before you know it you have spent like three months trying to like jam a power progression into a game that in the end doesn't really work but they, they do add the power progression later and they do it even, don't tell the players, but it's, it's in some cases it's quite fake. You can actually <laughs> play mob control offline, even though it has a coin master meta, right? Which obviously <laughs> you open the game and you need to be able to check who attacked you. But no, you can just open it in the airplane and you can you can check who attacked you, which is a bit weird, right? So they fake quite a lot of things. Which in hyper casual land doesn't matter. The players don't maybe don't even care or they don't really worry about these things. So they are still really on the hyper casual side of the market, if you will, when they look at their game design. They do really uh, simulate these experiences in the apart from actually blocking players that are offline. They simulate the experiences quite well to be real. So it is sometimes also quite hard to see what is real and what's not. But yeah, most of the, especially in mob control, a lot of the interactions, most of the interactions are actually fake. Yeah, and then, it was funny. It was actually, sorry to cut you off. It was funny to, no to read in your article about how you can like pause multiplayer and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. I've been trying <laughs> to cover it up. This is like very obviously fake and everyone knows yeah. it. But actually like one, one follow-up question to this I wanted to ask is that like you can, at least from what I can see so far that we've talked about, you can bucket these games in two categories. They're the games that are made to be hybrid casual. 
And then there mm-hmm. are these like companies that have these big portfolios of hyper casual games that yeah. are trying to modernize them and trying to make them more relevant into like the the yeah. current state of mobile. And so I'm curious for that second bucket, those that are trying to go change a game from hyper casual to hybrid casual, based on what you studied here, even seeing this one example, are there any takeaways or lessons learned that can be applied more broadly to that segueing? Yes, I would say it's mostly about the UA, the user acquisition for these games, because it is really one-on-one. This strategy that you had when you made hyper-casual games can just directly be imported into the strategy that you use for the hybrid casual games. And in terms of the other game that is, has a bit of a, a shorter deconstruction in the article, which is from Voodoo, is the Collect Them All game. They really have a, a very funny trick. It's like that they really monetized, sorry, they really acquired only on one puzzle mostly that is is a quite intriguing puzzle and they found this puzzle and everyone you've seen these puzzles like oh your iq is like this and if you can if you solve it your iq is this but obviously this has nothing to do with your iq but like it's a challenge and and that really lowers the cpi so much that players are actually quite intrigued and, and they tap that ad and that is also something that I th- I see uh, still happening also in the because we're talking about relatively old hybrid casual games in this article but also in the new hybrid casual games I see this trend still happening where you see an ad you download the game and then the first level of the game is actually a mini game that you that actually is not the core gameplay you even see this yeah. in royal match or in in other uh, games that they, they also try to leverage this which I think it's a little, I, I, I would call this cheating, but who am I? I'm a game designer. So it's, that is one thing you could definitely still leverage. And I think they, they, these companies, and I don't mean this any bad way, I think what works, but they do really rely on these hyper-casual marketing hacks, if you will. Is, is that an answer to the question? Yeah, I think it is. And I guess you quickly mentioned... Collect them all as the second game example from, from right. Voodoo that you dove into. And so what you say in the essay is the game doesn't have a unique or surprising loop or an easily marketable core. <laughs> it has practically no live ops. It doesn't have a meta built on power progression and it doesn't yeah. feature enough puzzle variation to retain players in the long term. But it does deserve a mention since Collect them all has a very similar. IAP RPD to mob control, which is about 19 cents to 17 cents. Correct. And so I guess my question to you is, given all the things that this game doesn't have, which sounded (laughs) like basically everything, why then is it able to succeed in scale as a hybrid casual game? Yeah. It it definitely is the odd one out. It's a weird one. What I did hear from an ex-colleague of mine at Voodoo is actually that I have played this game collect them all until like level 70 or 80. And he just told me after I released the article, he he sent me a message and he says, all the live ops actually only starts after level 100. Ooh. And I'm and I was very surprised because I, I did not expect this. After eight le- 80 levels, normally you would see some kind of event pop yeah. in or normally why. <laughs> you get it quite quicker. And so I didn't play further. I was like, I guess that's it. But apparently... There are players that just want to, I think it's really a, a, a sort of a brainless exercise, just like it's hype, it's like hypnotizing, finding a little line match, like in Best Fiends, that's the core mechanic of the game. But they, yeah, the game really, and, and there is a decoration meta, and it, it, I think it really does write what it needs to do. But I think because this is such an odd one out, in the sense of, the genre that it actually caters to players usually they match three players which i think this game also falls under they usually play more elaborate casual games and if these players are quite expensive these days to to purchase to get from an ad Uh, cpis really range up until whatever maybe even 15 dollars in the craziest cases and what Voodoo does really well with collect them all is being a bridge between the hyper casual player and potential match three players who would like to play, I don't know, Lily's Garden or, or Merge Mansion. It's a, Merge is also part of that segment because they can be acquired so cheaply. The players are actually in um, the game, in, in Collect Them All. And even if they fall off after level 50 because they think it's boring, which is 
quite it's quite easy to imagine this they will they might just go to they go forward to another game that they see an ad of in this in 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 this app and it is i think the ctrs are really high for this game and if you look at the price of the no ads pack of or collect them all you can also see it because that price is much higher than it is in uh, mob control so if you want to get rid of all the ads you really have to pay 10 bucks i think in in collect them all while in mob control i think it's about three dollars or four so i think they just get way more uh, like ad impressions that that really click through and i think it's really just a funnel it's a gateway drug to <laughs> to to casual games to casual puzzle i think yeah that's um, a good way which to also play. works yeah. it's a crazy it's a crazy game i i i'm fascinated by it but i yeah. couldn't go through <laughs> to level 100 it was too brainless <laughs> for me i couldn't do it yeah it really yeah. is the the odd one out i think that is a, a good way to put it but we have a couple more examples to get through so let's go right. on to the next one to a company called madbox which is also, traditionally a hyper-casual company with one-hit hybrid casual game, Pocket Champs. And in your essay, you say, Pocket Champs is an amazing case study in taking a game concept, Fall Guys, and dramatically simplifying it to make the accessible concept ultra-accessible. So I guess my question to you, Nick, is what exactly did they do to make something like Fall Guys ultra-accessible? And through something that's so you know, accessible, how are they able to make it more successful also with IAPs than basically all of these mm-hmm. other games that we're talking about? Yeah. You said two groups of companies, the one that try to come from a hyper-casual standpoint and the ones that sort of start over and really start start as a mentality of hybrid from the get-go. And this is actually would be, that was a really good segue into Madbox because Madbox is that company that did this really impressively. They are a hyper-casual company, but I did not know that actually until I researched them. I thought they were a smaller startup that I I have a couple of ex-colleagues that went to Madbox and I thought that they really went to some smaller indie studio that really just leveraged their experience in casual, which is true, but also they have that hyper-casual history. Um, But it doesn't seem like they use these transparent tricks that I was talking about, at least transparent for us as game developers in mobile, as much as Voodoo and Say Games do. They, I, Of all the games in this article, I am the most positive and the, as a game designer, I am actually the, the most amazed by this one because they really started out with from zero again. They didn't just take a hyper-casual game. And, and they what they really did is, okay, we'll take the essence of Fall Guys, which is I call it the photo finish. In Fall Guys, of course, you control that photo finish. And in this game, they simplified it so much that you don't even control the photo, the finish anymore. It's just, uh, you, you do control it, but not during the core game. You control it just in, before you start. You select a few, very few parameters of what you want to start the race with. And in the article, it's I don't have time here to really go deep into the exact game design of it. In the article, you can see it. It's a very smart, and I have never seen this before either, a very smart mechanic of, okay, let's see if the choice that I made works out. And you see all the guys running, and you just have a little, you have a cinematic camera, and it flies over this Fall Guys-esque level very nicely. And you really are like waiting there with like nail-biting excitement, uh, at least in the beginning, to see if your little champ actually makes it second or first or, or, or sixth if you don't do it well. And it's a beautiful game. And I, I have been playing this even more than Dream Deal. I think I've completed Dream Deal when it came out. This game, even while I, I played this maybe two, three years ago, and even while I re-researched it before the article, what is it, two, three months ago, Two months ago, I, I started it up again, and I got immediately hooked to one of the events that was in there to get one of those, how do you call it? Like, it's one of the modes of transportation that, that you can win. And I was thinking, oh, that's a cool one. It's, it has a nice legendary color. It has all these gacha elements as well. They really took all the, the super engaging mechanics that a meta can have and just jammed it into this game. And... um 
what they do really well is they started with a power progression. So say game starts with the ad, Voodoo starts with an older hyper-casual game, and they just start with a power progression, which is that's what they're going to build their game around. And that's very impressive. It's a really native hybrid game, and that's quite impressive because I don't see this very often. That, that's what I think about that game. It's, I'm very positive about this one. I, I also have a few sort of unique things that, that Madbox has tried to do in terms of monetization which specifically, and that is actually that they really reward, they really leverage the rewarded ads. Every every time you win a race, you have the chance to increase your minion or champ or what it's called a champ. It's statistics a little bit. And with every point of of improvement, you can grow fa- further into the power progression of the game. And that's really it. It's a one-dimensional power progression, but it works so well. And they even just blatantly give you these extra points for a rewarded ad. And if you get the right, sometimes they give you a really good one, like a legendary uh, increase, which is like 10 points. So it's quite a lot. But sometimes you get a bit less. And then so, when it is a bit less, you're like, yeah, this is not something I want. The other 50% or 80% of the time, it's actually something that you think, oh, that's quite good because they also gotcha fight the increases in the power progression that you can get from the rewarded ads after the runs. You can't change the, ver- you can't change the outcome of the race, but yeah, you can actually change what you get from it by watching ads. Yeah. And, and yeah, the most impressive thing actually, and that really comes back to the um, sessioning of the game, or actually the play rhythm, I would say, is that it's so genius. They have the races, they take 30 seconds. Do you know why the races take 30 seconds? You can probably imagine why. You don't do anything during these races. So you might you might be cooking and you might press, okay, you might press start on that race. You might cut your carrots for 30 seconds. <laughs> you, you have... Is one eye on that game and one eye on your carriage. You <laughs> cut your finger off almost. Uh-oh. And then <laughs> after 30 seconds, this race ends. And then they say, oh, you won or you lost or whatever. Do you want to... And then they give you a rewarded ad. And then you can do the same thing, 30 seconds. Just press the, yes, I want to watch the ad and keep cutting. And then it's, so it's like, oh, I can watch an ad. Then I can watch the race. Then I can watch an ad. But it's all watching anyway. So it doesn't really matter if you watch an ad or if you watch a race. I would argue that this is not good for your CTR, <laughs> but yeah. it does really work. It still earns, I think it earns them a lot of money. And it's very impressive how they just so smartly came up with a game that 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 facilitates watching ads so easily in, in their core. And that is a beautiful thing, actually. <laughs> I was quite yeah. impressed by this. Yeah. yeah, and I would think too, there could be lots of different types of even just racing mechanics <laughs> and like other games that could take something from this and figure yeah, out definitely. how to apply it in other ways so that'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see i we should probably move over to our last example of today mm-hmm. which is happy and happy of course created archero which oh, is the hybrid casual pioneer and more recently but found success a year ago or so with survivor.io where players level up to fight off hordes of enemies across rounds and we also eva from our team get, did a good game deconstruction on survivor.io a good while Shout back out to and it's been over a year since they they launched nick maybe to start on this how has this game performed what has this team done to try to improve the game and since yeah. this is like an earlier example too of hybrid casual like that's played out part of its life cycle like what can we <clears throat> learn from that yeah that's a big one you could talk like a whole uh, podcast about this game by itself it's a huge game because i think of i think i mentioned it in the article it's i think of all the games that i that i uh, covered in the article i think 90 percent of the iaps in terms of like absolute revenue is made by survivor.io and then the other games that i talked about have one or two percent yeah so it's an insane game and they of course, they are very successful. This game has been making a lot of money. It has been a bit on the decline in the recent months. And it's probably reached the... Well, the, it has probably seen the most successful time that it has that it was, that it could have. But still, it's making huge amounts of money. And it's actually the only game that heavily favors IAPs compared to the ads of the games that I'm talking about. Madbox also has, Pocket Champs had 42% ads and 58% 
IAPs, which is, that's not actually significant, but something around that number. But Habi really goes much higher. They have only 35% ads and 65% IAPs. They really also started from a really different point of view. What they do in a unique sense is they, instead of taking a, a, a hyper-casual concept and then making it more elaborate, they did the exact opposite. They went from a more yeah, complicated game, which could be any roguelike, mostly vampire survivors or, or games like these, and really toned down the complexity. And of course, the, the biggest thing in that game is still the power progression. It is a little bit less transparent than in Pocket Champs, but it is still there. And it has that Archero equipment choosing that they basically have in every game. I think S, S Snaker, yeah. Sna- Snaker has it also. And they really went mid-core to hybrid instead of hyper-casual to hybrid. So that's a Mm. big difference. So they do, however, have really hyper-casual UA. And that makes this game, I think, the golden goose in in this list of games. Because they really nailed down that cheeky TikTok user acquisition. That is like, you you immediately... The the ads are the exact... It's just a, a fragment of gameplay. And I have a few videos in that article where you can really see that how hypnotic this game's design is. You, you basically have so many enemies that die around you that it becomes some kind of psychedelic, swirly <laughs> like imagery. And yeah, it's fun. It's super fun, although I have some issues with personally with how they unlock their features. It goes really slow, and I still don't understand how their sessioning um, reasoning is, because I, while I think... Um, a lot of hyper-casual gamers, they come from play rhythms where they have session sec- session lengths of like maybe a few minutes. If you want to com- if you want to get rid of all your energy in in Habby's game in Survivor IO, you ha- have to play like more than an hour, I think, and then in a few hours it's back and you have to go all the way again. It's it's really a, a huge grind. The rounds take so long. Which I think also is a bit of the, spoiler alert, it's a little bit of the reason why it, it is a bit on the, it's going down. Because it, it doesn't really engage you very long. The, the long-term retention is also dropping quite heavily. In January, it was still at like 20, 12%, but I think everyone gets used to this. Every, there's a lot of other games out now that also try to replicate the success. So everyone has now seen this sort of, what is it, survival, top-down, mass, swarming gameplay. So I think their long-term retention really has tanked these, these later months. So yeah, the, the trick has been used now, and I think that gameplay has maybe reached its critical mass of, of engagement in, in terms of CPI and popularity. Yeah, so this is a game that obviously saw really high highs oh. and has been falling off. So are you basically saying that the kind of the fallout has more to do with the specific design and choices of this one game more so than just like hybrid casual in general just naturally having these kinds of fallouts or is it both you think as i said in the article i think the only game and that's why also i'm the most positive about that one is that pocket champs they have really a a very strong and and it's very stable retention The, the retention hasn't changed over the last year i think for them while yeah i think even though, and I, and Habby has the money and they do everything they can to keep the players in. They have events you wouldn't even imagine with its own mini games in there that you can do good fishing and you can do all kinds of other things. It's amazing, actually. And their events are beautiful, but it's still, if your core is not, it, it's too long. It just, it takes too long to go through this round and it's 15 minutes most often for one round. And yeah, it, I think that's the problem that this game has. I think they should... I, you cannot really do anything about it anymore because the current players, they are used to this and they're like, oh, I need more energy. But actually the new players that come in, they they are like, whoa, this game takes forever to unlock. And yeah, it's probably, they're in a bit of a pickle these days. Yeah, That's a good way to put it. We're ending the, the rear end of our conversation here. Nick also wrote about Homa Games and his essay. We're not going to talk about that one today. So if you're interested in learning more about those examples, make sure to check out the essay. But a couple of final questions for you here. I guess first, after conducting all of that research, looking at all of those case studies, what is your outlook 
on the genre. Like, how bullish are you on hybrid casual continuing its upward trajectory, however we define it? And are there like any zones of innovation or trends like within it that have you particularly intrigued? I could say a few things here. I think I was thinking about a little bit before we started this podcast. And I think the lines between hyper casual and hybrid casual will blur even more than they are already blurred right now. Most companies, they will come from that voodoo say games angle with adding a mechanic to the core instead of really the habby or madbox angle which are a bit more unique and and also harder to do i would argue so i think there are uh, what i also want to say is there are more recent successes in hybrid casual that i did not talk about in the article specifically because they are quite it's quite early to say anything about them and they could be really uh, a quick hit and and they would really fall off quite quickly and at least the the, the hits that, that I talked about in the article are relatively long-term. But in the newer successes, among which are like My Perfect Hotel is a big one. It's really exploding right now, which is a Say Games game. They really focus again on this uh, hyper-casual ads angle. And you can still also see that in the RPD that like it, it skews really high in, in terms of ads. While Voodoo, honorable mention to them because I saw Block Jam 3D is a new game that they have out. And that game has a whopping $2 RPD, which is 10 times higher than Mob Control is. And they also scaled into the millions of players already. And that is actually quite impressive because yeah, this company apparently also really is evolving in terms of in-app purchases and monetization. So I think they will, the bigger companies like these two, they will stay around and really solidify their position. I think they're in a good trajectory. We also will see those ads that I told you about that are like a mini game instead of the actual gameplay. Uh, we will see this more and more as well. It's just still a, a good trick to pull. It's probably not the best for your long-term retention, but if you have a big split uh, for ads, maybe you can still try that. But I think also new players in the market will will come in. Notably, Supersonic has had a pretty good amount of hits recently. I think Going Balls and Bridge Race have been a good one. And I think they will also like more. There will be more challenges forming. It just every company takes it a bit longer or less. Yeah, it could be going quicker or it could be going slower at specific companies. I think Homa will also figure it out soon with Merge Army. I think they also will try to take a piece of the cake. And yeah, how bullish I am about all these things. It's very tricky to say. I think this will keep going. I'm definitely not bullish on hyper-casual. I think more, as I said, more hyper-casual games will start adding at least some kind of live ops, some kind of IAPs. But how fast or how slow this will go, I have, it, it will have to see. It's a very volatile segment. Gotcha. That's all very well said. And thanks for sharing those other examples that we should all be keeping an eye on. It will be really yeah, interesting yeah, to see ones. how all of this evolves and who else emerges onto the scene and helps push this forward. And even how all of the more traditionally hyper-casual companies, whether they can innovate and come up with new things faster than some of the hyper-casual games fall off will be a a big question for these companies, in my opinion. Last question for Unique is just what else are you excited about or what else are you working on? Is there anything else that, you know, whether in the genre or what you're working on that you want to give a quick plug or shout out for before we wrap up? Yeah, plug time, I guess. Sounds good. I'm actually quite excited about the game that I'm really working on mostly full time these days at Moonlit. It's it has the it has a few as I said before, it has web three elements in there, which I think is a new challenge. And because of the let's call it the saturation of the casual and yeah, mostly casual market that I've been working in for twelve, ten years now, I'm actually a little happy to be surfing a bluer ocean. Because I think it's a good challenge now to make Web3 games fun. And that is a new challenge for me. So it's not super linked to any hybrid casual. It's actually not. Although the game has also, it's called Rogue Nation, the game we're making. And it has 
definitely some hybrid casual mentality. It's also easy to pick up. You totally understand immediately what you have to do, shoot. But then we will also add a really deep meta, including like permanent ownership for the items that you get. And in terms of articles, I would say a small plug that in uh, November I'm going to write about a Steam game uh, for once instead of a mobile game, uh, which uh, is going to be about Dave the Diver. It's it's a beautiful yeah. little Steam game that I'm very excited about. I'm actually super hooked. And it's also a pun, but I, I, I really love that game. Actually, it's, it's I've been playing 20 hours over the last two weeks or, or, or something a bit more. It sounds not so much, but I have <laughs> it's a lot to do. But it's beautiful, that game. And I'm also quite excited to to deconstruct that for you guys. So that, that will be my next topic. And yeah, also excited for when this podcast launches. <laughs> yes. Sounds like we got plenty to look forward to. Rogue Nation and Dave the Diver deconstruction, which I still need to check that game out too. It's but beautiful. Knowing, knowing yeah. that you're writing this decon will, will push me to bump it up my to playlist and... Great. All of that sounds amazing. Time to wrap up. Nick, this has been a bunch of fun. So thank you again uh, for hopping My on pleasure. today. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in as well. And if somehow you're not signed up for Novic Digest yet, I recommend going to Novic.co and doing so because Nick and our fellow colleagues are going to continue publishing essays and game deconstructions you won't want to miss. And even if you enjoyed today's episode, I still recommend checking out Neek's essay, The Evolution of Hybrid Casual, just to even get like the more visual component of what he's saying. Oh, yeah. you can it's a big one. It's, it's, a, it's a big one. It's a, it is a big one, but that's what part of what makes it really good. And it's really grounded and really showcasing through the visuals and videos, like how these games work and what makes them unique or special. So make sure to check that out. But with all of that said, I hope you all have a great rest of your days and we'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novik has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novik.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novik Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novik.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.